Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugar cane. Three Roll is cane to glass. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're out to lunch with Christian Maida, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. This morning I googled dance studio and found 20 listings in Lafayette. For comparison, there are 12 McDonald's. Uh, that's to suggest that dance is a pretty big industry here. The operators even have some political clout. The Hyman Center was shut down briefly during the pandemic until the dance community raised hell. Um, but most of those studios are for young people, and dance or any type of movement is, is really a lifetime pursuit. There are comparatively fewer opportunities for adults to age into a life with motion, especially if you're not looking to two-step. For professional dancers, opportunities can be hard to come by unless you want to open a dance studio and teach. My guest... Claire Cook, founder of the nonprofit Arts Center Basin Arts, created the only professional dance company in Lafayette, and she's used Basin as a venue for artists of a variety of disciplines to show their work. Claire is a Lafayette native, but got her MFA at NYU's Tisch School of the Arts, and she, she still teaches and choreographs across the country and abroad. Claire Cook, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hi, thank you. Now, let's talk about dance as exercise. You know, exercise crazes like Zumba or bar are rooted in the physical discipline and exertion of dancing, but it can go much deeper than toning core muscles. Uh, discipline, disciplines like the Franklin Method or Pilates emphasize a mind-body connection in the practice and aim for something much more holistic than physical fitness. And my guest, Elise Morgan, has taught Pilates at her studio Embody Zest for over 20 years and is now a certified Franklin Method instructor. And that approach uses imagery and movement in what they call experiential anatomy to reorient your mind, your body, and your posture. Elise uh, makes her approach uh, her work approachable. You can take an old guy, old tight guy Pilates class, and she often takes her instruction out of the studio and into the world with public classes in local parks. Elise Morgan, welcome to Out to Lunch. Hi, thank you. Um, so Claire, I, I want to start with, with sort of a, let's call it a business uh, organization question. So Basin is a nonprofit, right? Um, but, but dance is something that people make into commercial ventures. So I guess I'm curious, why go the nonprofit route? Well, I think that for the youth studios in our community, as you mentioned before, there are plenty. You found 20. I have a literal Google document of about 60 local okay. studios that I communicate with regularly to tell Literally them about five events times happening. The numbers yeah. of McDonald's. Okay, so great. there's a, really a mecca of youth training programs in this community that are very much, you know, profit-based and yep. students pay for tuition. Um, adults are a little bit different both in the way that they spend their um, leisure time and their leisure capital. Yeah. And uh, especially around here, you know, it's usually tied to drinking or eating or, or seeing, you know, going to events, which yeah. we all love to do, myself included. Um, so I think there's, there's an effort with the nonprofit model to be able to make these types of movement experiences, dance class experiences for adults, both accessible um, from a cost perspective, from a... A genre perspective so yeah. you know we're able to offer different types of classes not just um, you know a set curriculum that you might see for a youth program but it's more of a drop-in model um, and at the same time I think Basin as a nonprofit it's always been important to me as a nonprofit leader 
to think of creative models in which the nonprofit can also help to fund itself. So that way it's not only dependent upon grants or you know individual donors, because there are so many wonderful nonprofits in our community that need lots of support. So if Basin can create a need or serve a need that already exists, such as adults who want to dance, who are willing to pay you know, a modest amount of money to take those classes. Um, the drop-in class model has become one of our sort of like foundational profit centers. Not that it's a huge profit center, but it helps us keep the lights on so that we can do the more of the nonprofit work like produce original dance content, have an art gallery, you know, support residencies for local artists. Yeah. So a lot of our maybe more traditional nonprofit work is tied to the funding stream of having classes. I've never heard the term leisure capital, and I, I've just like in my head just been thinking, I love that term, and I'm going to steal that and use that forever. And, it's uh, yours. You know, okay, so and, and useful that you're thinking about this in terms of accessibility too, because Elise, I love the idea of old tight guy Pilates, because I guess I'm 37 now, which is maybe not that old, but I'm certainly starting to feel tight. <laughs> um, and honestly, I thought I knew what Pilates was. I, I don't think that's actually true anymore. And, and certainly I had never been familiar with the term Franklin method, right? And so I guess I'm curious just like as a practitioner, right, to what extent that presents like an obstacle to you to reach people. Like you have to kind of let them know about this process beforehand. I mean, Pilates is something it feels like has been in the lexicon for a while, but maybe Franklin method, not so much. I mean, it, it may be. So I mean, like, to what extent do you find that you have to introduce people to the philosophy first before they're willing to take a class? Um, well, I... The Pilates, I kind of keep separate and away from Franklin Method because yeah. in a Franklin Method is definitely learning how to use the brain to create change. Hmm. And we do use movement and self-touch and experiential anatomy. Mm -hmm. um, but what I saw in, in Pilates, Pilates is a beautiful system of exercises. Mm -hmm. it, it, people get stronger, people feel better. It works, but then but then it has its limits. Yeah. And I found that I needed more tools in my toolbox. So I, that's when I found the Franklin Method because it actually teaches people the design of their body mm. and, and starts to give them a better picture, if even a picture that they might not have had at all. Say, say the picture in their shoulders was about tight shoulders. Mm -hmm. Well, you can't change tight shoulders if the picture in your head is tight shoulders. Okay because the body is listening to the brain. So you have to change the brain before you can really change the body. You can do a lot of great exercises and, and it'll feel good or whatever, but if you wanna really create positive change that last, you do it through the nervous system. It sounds like mindfulness. I mean, I feel like this is a- It's mindfulness, but it's, it's a little, I mean, mindfulness is just kind of like, oh, I'm a lot more aware or whatever. You know, it's, like, okay. it's just kind of a floaty word. Yeah. But if you want to create change, you need to get like more specific about, well, what am I noticing? What do I want to change? How am I going to do that? And then, and it all comes from imagery because, so, yeah. I should point out that you've brought a model of a collarbone or an actual collarbone <laughs> along with you to lunch? Models. I only do <laughs> infant <laughs> collarbones. Yeah, and it's very yeah. small. Not, yeah. It's, so, it's a good one to like, you know, have people go, oh, this is inside of me. Yeah. yeah. And it moves every time you move your arm. And yeah. let's touch it. And so we see it, talk about it, touch it, feel it. And right away, now the brain starts to have a clearer picture of what's going on. And then it can direct function a lot better. Is that, is, 
is that experiential anatomy? I mean, is this what that we're would be experiential anatomy? Okay. Like seeing, seeing it, touching it, feeling it, listening, you know, noticing all that. Yeah, I would call it. But it's, but it's what it's doing is it's giving your brain a better picture of what's going on, because yeah. before it was a foggy notion, and yeah. if you're operating from the I don't know land or the tight shoulder land, it's going to be hard to have a flexible, free, relaxed shoulder. So we, so we play a lot with that. <laughs> so the Franklin Method was developed by a dancer. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yes. I feel like I've done several of Alisa's workshops and studied the method a little bit. Um, but I can definitely speak to just broadly, like, the longer you dance and the deeper you go with, like, the study of the body, you kind of do hit a, a limit where it's like, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm moving my body, but yeah. I... I need to go deeper and so I feel like Franklin yeah. Method provides like a depth of that mind-body connection to where you can really start to understand the nervous yeah, system. Dancers use a lot of imagery already in their practice and Eric Franklin was a dancer but he noticed in some classes the same move felt yucky in his body compared to the same move in another class and he realized it was the way the teachers were saying how to do the move mm -hmm. and how much that would affect if you know if he had the flexibility or not you know so he started looking at metaphorical imagery and then he got more and more into the actual anatomical imagery and teaching dancers that and when they have that like cleared up then they can do a lot more they've just like increased their range of motion and their strength and everything so people get that up front like do I need a gateway drug to get into this where I'm saying to myself oh, like, no, I teach it very simply like you know like that like let's you know we would stand up do a little noticing do a little self-touch do a little whatever and then do another comparative and you'll be like oh yeah it did create a change the image in my head created a change yeah it, it, I guess I'm curious to both of you I mean like I, I feel like there is more of this sort of like dance related type of coursework and I know that's not specifically what y'all do but I wonder if like having that broader sort of awareness that like hey you know I yeah bar class or even yoga things like that like where you're you're dealing with exercises or form of artful motion makes people like you know maybe I will try a dance class or I'll try Franklin method does that make it easier or are we kind of in a general state where people are kind of just generally more interested in this type of activity or no I think if I'm understanding the question I think it's probably a bit of a mix like you you do have because I think personalities in general are different like yeah. across the the spectrum of people so you do have you know those people that want to do the same thing every day in the same exact way and that's what gives them a sense of like stability and calm and and strength you know and then I think you you may have another part of the population that is that has a different type of curiosity and like maybe they're doing the same thing every day and they're asking questions like okay I feel like I'm plateauing or I feel like I'm I'm curious about what what else my body can do or what else my creativity can incorporate with movement. And so I feel like, you know, from a dance perspective, whether you're a professional dancer or an amateur dancer or an adult that wants to just experience a different type of movement, I'd say oftentimes a lot of the adult students that come to Basin, whether for the first time as a dancer or, you know, a seasoned dancer that's coming back to dance, there's often tied to it a sense of openness and a sense of curiosity of learning something new or experiencing something in a different way not the same old xyz it's, yeah it's been proven that dance is one of the best things you can do for your brain 
Why is that? Because of the three-dimensional movement, and then like that creative aspect, and then of course if there's music, you know, it's stimulating the brain. And then learning and but, but remembering also because yeah. the reason why we have a brain is for movement, to go get the food, to go find the, you know, it's like that's why our brain developed was to move us. So moving is the best thing you can do for your brain. <laughs> crossword puzzles are okay, but it's better to do an actual physical crossword puzzle. You know, start with the right foot, do the, you know, turn around, you know, all of that. That's a... So, I mean, I'm thinking, about, I'm trying to put myself in the environment of somebody who'd be like, you know, I'm going to try something new. Maybe it's a dance class, maybe it's Franklin Method. And I'll tell you, just from my own personal perspective, I would find myself saying, like, I can't dance... I feel uncomfortable around people. I mean, it took me a minute to kind of get into yoga, which I did for a few years ago, and then not so much now. And it's something it was just like kind of just a self-consciousness, <laughs> right? I mean, like, how do you – and then this – you know, I can imagine somebody coming in, right, uh, t to see you, Alice, and being like, you want me to think about my collarbone? You want me to think about all these things? Like, I thought I was here just to stretch. I mean, yeah. like, what – I like, mean, how do you talk well, them into it? Uh, like, most people know more about their – device that they carry around in their pocket right. and it only lasts a couple of years <laughs> but you know how about you know more about what's actually serving you every day right. and improve that and also use your brain to a much better tool than what we're using it for most people are using their brain for negative self-talk or you know <laughs> or, or worry right things in the future that haven't even happened okay. so right so <laughs> don't even mention the future <laughs> right so so right so in the franklin yeah. method it's more like um if your thoughts you know influence your experience we always say what are you thinking you know like can you think something better to make this experience a little more enjoyable a little more fun a little more what i mean your you know your life in the end is your experiences yeah it's not you know, did your hamstrings stretch enough or did you get the dance routine? It was like, did I have fun in my life? Did I explore? Was I curious? Did I try new things? You know, it's like, that's, you know, that's really what it's about is experience. It's like, and I think for like for Basin Arts, kind of going back to some of the things I said earlier, the dance classes are like one component of what we do, but I really appreciate the like the multi-sensory experience of the other components that we have. So like when you're in a dance class, you also are taking in the work that flanks the dance floor, which is in our art gallery. So you, or you might have a resident artist working in the space, or you may be experiencing dance peripherally through other programs at Basin Arts, or deciding to attend a dance performance because you are maybe a visual artist or a musician that you just heard about oh there's a show that they're putting on so I think for me like different from necessarily craving or like demanding or desiring the entire public to attend a dance class I feel like embedding dance as part of their whole experience of Basin Arts even in the smallest way might introduce someone to a new idea about movement or how movement tells a story or how movement exists in our population. So when you when you see a professional dance show, you know, it's not necessarily gonna only be like I guess it especially in contemporary dance, you know, you're not seeing leaps and turns like prima ballerinas. Mm -hmm. You might be seeing something much more uh, pedestrian or something like that. But 
the experience of taking yourself out of your day-to-day life and observing something different, whether it's visual arts or performing arts or movement or music, all of those experiences kind of do come together to just maintain and elevate that curiosity. And also, you might put it in your brain bank and save it for later, and then something else you're watching and you're like, oh, I get that. I, something clicks, you know? You're listening to Out the Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Claire Cook of Basin Arts and Elise Morgan of Embody Zest. I, I guess something you both have touched on a little bit is this idea of speaking of brain banks, right? There's a corrupting our brain banks with devices and things like that. People are very tethered to those sort of things, unless you're listening to our podcast, in which case just keep doing that, right? So I, I but, but it sort of it does raise a question in my mind, right, which is like how that sort of day-to-day mode that people live in, right, how does that, if at all, change their interest or or lack thereof in, in, in sort of what you guys are describing sort of experiences, right? Like I think there's a unique sort of thread there, right? Which is like the idea that you're presenting experience, human experience in the world, touch and feel. But we're kind of as a society moving away from that, right? This sort of dystopian idea of metaverses and things. I mean, are, are people becoming more interested because they're terrified of where their phones are taking them or are they becoming less interested because they love their phones so much? What, what do you think? I mean, I feel like the last few years, especially with COVID, have been a total game changer and challenge point, frankly, for Basin and for at least the immediate community that I'm serving because we had so many starts and stops, you know? So it's like, okay, we can have class. Oh, no, we can't have class. Now we're going to have outdoor classes and performances. Oh, no, now we're going to have things online, you know? So there's been an inconsistency in our ability to have real-time experiences through movement, through touch, through feel, like that sort of, you know, part of our currency is breathing in a space with other people you know and uh so I feel like there's still a lot of gray area right now honestly around like where that takes us next I mean so much of the arts industry performing arts certainly has moved to an online component um I'm grateful for that platform but I do feel like more and more artists are just longing for that return to a physical realm you know to be in the space with other people and breathe on them at least i'm finding myself more mindful of my posture just sitting next to you i i um <laughs> me too i, I got to imagine though just like hearing like hearing about your work that, that this might be attractive to somebody just trying to escape that experience right like i'm saying escape like i mean i it can feel oh. dehumanizing to sort of like i sit in front of a computer all day i sort of like feel like i have this kind of pocket that like Something that actually... I mean, we have... I mean, the Franklin Method is like, let's improve the things you're doing all the time. Okay. Posture. Sure. Breathing. Yeah. Thinking. <laughs> so let's improve those things. So we do that in a, in a class or a workshop. We're, we're doing maybe to also a certain body part. Oh, this one's focused on shoulders, or this one's on the back, or this one, I'm doing one on the heart. I do, we do internal organs, we do bones, we do muscles, but we... But the, the method is that you start to see, oh, I can learn to use my brain in a different way to improve even something physical, but also my mood or, um, you know, just in general, my experiences of life. Um, How long does it take before somebody sees a difference? Like, is it the sort of thing I go and I'm going to walk out and be like, you know, I feel uh, Hopefully in the first 10 minutes in the warm-up, yeah. you start to go, you start to notice that that what you're thinking is having an effect on your experience. Mm-hmm. And that you can 
you can play with it. I call it like trying on hats, you know, like let's just, you know, image this or let's do that and see, see if it has an effect. And it, it will because your body has to listen to your brain. <laughs> and so whatever your brain is picturing, the body's going to try to match that. That's its job. And so if the brain is worried about the future, the body has to start responding in that way. Oh, my heart better beat a little faster. My adrenaline better start kicking in because I don't know. The brain's saying there's a tiger behind that curtain over there. We don't know if there is, but the brain's saying there, that there probably is. So, <laughs> so the, <laughs> I love to use the tiger behind the curtain, but it's like, because that's made, but because we saw the curtains move. And then the brain went to, well, maybe there's a tiger behind the curtain. I, uh... <laughs> I'm always looking for tigers behind curtains. I, I you know, so, so Claire, as a nonprofit, right, you know, you guys are, I, I, I presume, going after grants and things like that. I mean, so, you know, does that mean that you're having to create programming and think about it in terms of, like, what can I get funded? Meaning, like, well, you know, if, you know there seems to be a demand among philanthropists to want to give their money to this. Or to what extent are you able to kind of have the flexibility to create pr programming that you know sort of serves your mission, or you think that benefits the community, and then seek the funding for it? I mean, there's kind of this weird cat and mouse game with nonprofits with that. Kind of yeah, stuff. that's always a challenge. I feel like uh, the colleagues and grant writers that I work with are always telling me, Claire, write the grant for the programs you're already doing, and the creative artist in me is always wanting to create more programs because every grant I read gives me a new idea, you know. So that there is always a a tug of war there. I think um, it's a little bit of both. I mean, you sort of have those um, aspirational programs or goals or projects that you want to do. I kind of keep a, a log of those always. And so certain grants, you know, you might come across that are, they, they just fit perfectly for something that you've been always dreaming about doing. So you might create the program or the project to fit into that funding scope or, you know, write it in such a way that seems like it could really support that big idea but then thankfully there are those grants that do match well with our ongoing programs that again are tied to those very important mission specific things for basin it's our kind of unofficial mission is a container for creativity but really expanding upon that it's about artistic collaboration and sort of incubation of ideas for artists so large and small programs that we already have on an ongoing basis I'm always looking for ways to amplify or support the funding behind that and it could be something as simple as some marketing funding that helps us to you know run adequate social media to to share what we're doing with more people or we just launched a new project um, this year that we got funding for the Louisiana Project Grant through the Louisiana Division of the Arts and it's a project space residency in our gallery and so it's our first funded residency program for artists um, that really came out of COVID because we were not using our gallery in the same way we weren't open to the public and um, not having art walk every month changing over shows in a sort of a rapid fire pace and with a bit more breathing room and re reflection, we realized like, oh wait, the shows that were happening in our gallery that we felt were really most successful or most you know, riveting were the ones that were multidisciplinary that we always wanted them to have a little bit longer to sort of connect and deepen. So we still are operating our gallery as a, as a public exhibition space, but shifting it more to a project space where 
we have a collection of collaborative artists that come in in two month periods and they get a bit of seed money to develop a concept and then we help them build that concept out from start to finish for the public to observe and then connect that back to the community. So that's like a cool, in some ways an aspirational goal, but we, but we had a lot of the pieces in place already from our past programming, so that grant was a nice fit. So, Alisa, I don't think I got a real sense from you of like who your customer base is, right? I mean, like who is the, the typical person that shows up wanting to try the Franklin Method specifically? It can be anybody from physical therapist to, to you know, to somebody who just saw that it's a shoulder workshop and they're like, oh yeah, I have tight shoulders, you know, I want to come. <laughs> do you have a neck workshop? I have a tight neck. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of spine okay. workshops and stuff. Um, and so, but I like I've done like I've done different populations. I've gone in and done like an eight-week program with Claire's dance company, um, you know, and they're all movers and you know, but still they gain a lot from the Franklin method. But then I've done it at like you know assisted living places where people can only sit in a chair, but we can still do a lot. So, I, you know, I do it one-on-one -on -one with people if somebody's coming saying like. You know, I have a hip problem. So then we like go through the actual like movements of the hip joint so that they can say, oh, that's that's how it's supposed to move. So you see, I give them a clear image of good function. And now their body can start to operate from that rather than the thought of, you know, no, my hip just always feels like this. So they're, if that's the picture, it's keeping them in a certain paradigm, so to speak. So. We have, I do, I'm on the Franklin Method faculty and we do worldwide trainings. We have like 70 people, you know, in a level one training right now from everywhere from Russia, Vietnam, you know, South America, United States. So the one thing about for COVID for us, we were doing live trainings and with COVID we went online and it does transfer online teacher trainings and the workshops. So I've been able to do a lot of Franklin Method stuff online. I do stuff for equestrians. I've done like a Franklin Method walking series. I mean, just to have people learn how to walk better, more dynamically, uh, freer, you know, <laughs> longer. Uh, it's bizarre has like, these days you can't like avoid that eventually everything goes online, even if we're trying to get I people know. to be more in touch with their bodies, True. right? We're going into the virtual world. So, uh, you know, but it's great that both of you guys have found ways to get a sort of back in ourselves because I do think it's true that we spend a little too much time in the clouds maybe um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a nice uh, image you know yeah. Yeah, that would be a good in, in the clouds might work for certain things you know like yeah. I'm walking in the clouds yeah. Yeah. well Claire Claire and Elise thanks so much for joining me on Out to Lunch Acadiana thank, thank you. you my guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana have been Claire Cook of Basin Arts and Elise Morgan of Embody Zest we edited this conversation to fit into our time slot here on KRBS you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Claire and Elise by listening to the uh, Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast. You can find and subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsacadiana.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Aster Morgan, and you can find more of Aster's photos at astermorgan.com. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting from itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is... 
Eric Merle. Today's show is engineered by Josh Crapo. Our associate producer is Molly Richard. Our researcher is Leah Erdialis. I'm Christian Mater, editor of The Current Lafayette's nonprofit news outlet. For stories deeper than the headlines, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. I'll see you here again next time for more business and conversation. And out to lunch at Katie Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Three Roll Estate Craft Rum Distillery, crafting premium rum from their own Louisiana sugarcane. Three Roll is cane to glass. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 